0: This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Dia and Tim Minichi.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of our Dig Me Out Union, Jay, they are responsible for this episode voted on by our our folks at the uh, board of directors and steering committee level, they help us pick our roundtables. Sometimes they give us the suggestions of the topic. Sometimes we throw them out there. In this case, I sort of collected previous suggestions and ideas that we had from people from previous polls, and I threw them all into one poll, and they're, they'd been bouncing around for a while. So we decided to uh, put these three in there. We're gonna to get to it, but we have some guests who are gonna be joining us for this. Uh, one who's been here before, welcome back, Phil Fleming. Hello. And then two uh, gentlemen. I don't believe you've been on the show before. Uh, let's start in my top left corner, like we're on, uh, like we're on Hollywood Squares. Uh, Nate Smith, welcome to
2: the program. Thank you. Pretty. Where are you new, joining uh, us from? I'm actually in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, so. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've actually only been around for a few weeks, but dig me out. So I just kind of ran across it on the podcast and or ran across the podcast on a random band search. And uh, yeah, that was probably three weeks ago. So what,
1: which, which random band was obscure random nineties band? Was it that <laughs> let us,
2: I
3: want to yeah. say
1: it
2: was, now that I, I'm trying to even remember, um, it might've been the limb lifter stuff. Okay. And you it popped up in Google as like one of the, higher search rankings so i was like okay i'll check this out and then that's because of jay I, thinking, I know i'm like wow you guys have like 600 episodes almost somebody's <laughs> been going at it for a while cool
1: <laughs> all, all our seo optimization happens because of mr jay ziak <laughs> got it man
0: well, yeah we're optimized on like very niche terms like <laughs> limb lifter in the 90s you search for that we rank pretty high right so we got yeah. you nate
1: you got me man <laughs> we hooked him in all that work and then also joining us in bottom center square, Ian McIver. How's it going? Not too bad. Hello, thank you. <laughs> Where are you joining us from?
3: I'm joining you from Canada in Sudbury, Ontario, about four hours north of Toronto.
1: Nice. Oh, I see that we've got another person just hopping in right now. Let's let's click the Zoom button and see who we have joining us. This is a this is a Dun, special ta-da! special surprise. Someone popping in right as we're doing the introductions. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) And I see by the uh, by the the name that has popped up, it's Valerie Richardson. Valerie, can you hear us? She's muted. She's gone. She left. What happened, Valerie? Oh no. No. All right. Well, Valerie pops back in. uh, We'll. Hopefully, this, hopefully she wasn't meaning to jump on a work call and then ended up on our call by accident. That would have been. I wonder if that's <laughs> ever happened, where somebody's like joining a podcast and they accidentally click into like some board meeting
3: <laughs> or vice yeah, I'm sure that's happened. <laughs> I, I just left the meeting for 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 work. I, uh, performance test for some equipment that's uh, going to one of the, my client sites here. We uh, were doing the test today, so just finished before I came here. Perfect. Well, do you have a, uh,
1: you know, you can tell them you have a, you have a get out of work sick card for, we can sign for you and, and send on over electronically.
3: Well, well, I'm on the board of directors. So I could have just said it was a board meeting.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right. So the, the poll that we put up for our round table for July three suggestions out of the ashes, which was bands that, existed because of or or solo artists that existed because of a breakup so an example would be like wilco and sunvolt coming out of uncle tupelo um the breeders and frank black solo coming out of the pixies that sort of stuff so that was option number one option two was double albums of the 90s which you know obviously that's self-explanatory it also covered triple and quadruple And then our last option was live albums of the 90s. Those were the three options for the poll. It came down to uh, last place, live albums, 17% of the vote, Out of the Ashes with 33% of the vote, and finally, double albums of the 90s with 50% of the vote, taking it. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Then we got some comments, which we'll get to during this episode on those particular double albums. I feel like we need to do a little bit of explanation. We're talking about CD double albums because pretty much every album released in the 90s that went over 44 minutes qualifies as a vinyl double album. Mm. So we're talking about CD double albums. We're not talking about stuff that was released on vinyl because CD was the primary uh, format for the 90s. Also, we're not talking about... Like Japanese released bonus discs. For example, Bad Motorfinger has a bonus disc included in some of the like pressings of the CD songs. Yes, which is like four or five songs on that. It's not a full release, so we're not talking about that stuff too. Where there was like we're talking about the original intended album that was released Um, for. uh, I just so that people know the first double album. Do does anybody know when the first? recorded double album of popular music was released and who did it
4: i'm going to haggle a guess and say it was frank zappa's freak out in 1967
1: that was the second one good guess bob dylan's blonde on blonde oh released Uh. one week earlier I was, that was, it was the first popular music Ella Fitzgerald had released in 1956 Sings the Cole Porter Songbook Which was a double album But those were was not considered a popular release In the way that yeah. Dylan and the Mothers of Invention were uh, That was followed by a number of 60s and 70s Double albums that we all know You know, The, the Wall, uh, The Beatles White Album Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John Physical Graffiti Lots of concept albums Um that continued into the 80s. The 80s were not as full of double albums as the 70s or even the 60s. I only own one, which is uh, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome by um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I don't know. I don't have any other double albums from the 80s. Does any do any of you guys have a double album from the 80s?
3: Just a live album for Defez Mode
4: 101. Yeah 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 a, usually by the by the eighties doubles were usually reserved for live
3: right. material
4: there people were probably really discouraged from from making like double studio records
1: yep seems like it what you and you have the weird period of there's still vinyl records being sold cassettes are coming into their own and cds are starting to pop up in and the original um guys you know Vinyl albums were 44 minutes, 22 minutes per side, approximately. Yeah. So now, once you started getting into CDs, which were originally 74 minutes, you're not going to see as many uh, double albums because people just weren't making that long of a record. So yeah. this sort of returned specifically in the 90s and then sort of died off again in the 2000s, uh, being a very specific period for a resurgence of of double albums.
0: Why am I seeing, like... Uh- so when I looked at some 80s double albums, I'm seeing like Prince 1999.
1: Yes, that was actually a double. Yeah, that was a double. Prince did two doubles. He did... Um, only 11 songs. Oh, it
0: What am I missing not here?
1: It's the length.
0: Oh. Because
1: there's like seven minute long songs and stuff. Oh, right, right, right. So there's only like two songs per side on some of those. And I had it
0: on cassette, and I guess cassette would Yeah, it was only on
1: one cassette. Yeah. Yep. That's um, where, That's where that weird thing comes in where... Yeah, if you had a cassette or CD, yeah. it was a single album.
2: And was Rancid Let's Go a double album? No. On that thing vinyl, was only yes. 45 minutes long. But on vinyl, it was. Oh, okay. okay. Maybe nope. that's what they're counting. I just kind of did some quick Google searching, but Rancid was like one of the top ones. And I was like, I don't remember that being a double album. Yeah.
0: I didn't realize this was as complicated as it is. <laughs> it is
2: complicated, Jay. As
0: I'm looking at some of these titles, well, I'm like, well, I didn't never thought of that as a double album. I never thought of that as a double album.
4: Well, I mean, at the dawn of the '90s, because like at the end of the '80s, the, the album lengths were just getting longer and longer because, I mean, vinyl was being phased out, so people were thinking of cassettes. Right. So the so that's when the album lengths got to fifty minutes, fifty-five minutes, and and as CDs as CDs took over as the main format, probably around 1990 or so just said the albums got even longer than that and it when it then it just became routine for an artist to release a 70 minute album and no one no one thought of it as a double because it was not going to be on two pieces of anything
1: right now so, you also have i mean we can't forget like the clash releasing sandinista which is a triple album yeah in, in the beginning of the 80s um we, you also have w- some weird situations where it's called a sesca album or a Sesquie album, which is where um, it's one and a half albums. So they made an album <laughs> enough for three sides, but not for the fourth side of the vinyl. And oh. oftentimes that would be blank, which is just mind numbingly annoying. Uh, just, I can't believe that they <laughs> leave a blank side, but there are a, a number of uh, bands um, did that or they included it a bonus EP like a seven inch with their album. Elvis Costello did that. The stranglers <laughs> even up to of Montreal did that um, for their album, the sunlandic twins. So that's, those are some examples of, of things that don't work within what we're, we're talking about. Um, well, and, and then there's box sets, which we won't get into as a whole nother <laughs> oh, monster. <laughs> we do have to set some parameters. So we're not talking about live albums, we're not talking about bonuses. Do we include two albums released on the same day by the same band,
3: <laughs> or artist,
1: otherwise known as the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 conundrum? I do. I do, you uh, I do
0: because, yes, because I think they intended those to be a single statement. And for marketing yeah. reasons and business reasons, they decided to sep- sell the disc separately um so i think guns and that's a part of i think what the double album conversation is is i think of the ones that were marketed and like artists presented as a statement a whole statement of you know this is a double album yeah creatively i'm trying to do xyz and that's why i needed two albums to do it i think that is what guns and roses intended
1: so then that would also include 1992's human touch and lucky town by bruce springsteen two albums released on the same day
4: Yep. Unfortunately, I about those. Well, well, I mean, people just trashed Lucky Town when it came out. I, now, I remember that. Here is
1: the here is the other one that you have to take in consideration. What about two albums recorded at the same time but released separately, otherwise known as Load and Reload?
4: Hmm. Hmm.
0: I think I don't think so.
1: So if they're not released on the same day we don't count them.
0: Well, if they didn't intend them to work together like in at, in a single listen, right? I mean a double album to me would be I intend as an artist for people to listen this collectively at once. So if you release it at different yeah, times, I don't it, know how it, it's possible.
4: It it definitely was not how they intended it. It was I mean, they they had a they clearly had enough for a double CD album because I mean, let's face it, that would have been four pieces of vinyl, but um, easily four pieces of vinyl. But uh, <clears throat> okay, they they at for something like that, it was it was all right. It's been five years. We got to get something out, and here's what was finished first that was okay. basically what the what the load records were were about
1: so so for example Justin Timberlake's the 2020 experience part 1 part 2 oh, released geez. separately but I, we're not going to talk about those those were in 2000
0: <laughs> i was thinking of like sequel albums too and wondering where those fall
1: well there's the insane clown posse released bizarre and bizarre both on the same day <laughs> But in 2000, so they're just going to slightly miss out on our conversation <laughs> here, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. Oh, darn. <laughs> All right, let's. Does
0: that mean we're not going to talk about Bad at Hell too?
1: Is that a double? <laughs>
0: oh, no, but it's a sequel to the oh, first Oh, it's a one. sequel.
1: Yeah, cool. See, well, we could do a whole another podcast on sequel records because that's yeah. a that's a rare and interesting uh, odd. Occurrence in, in music that does not happen very often um, Just so you know The best-selling double album of all time What is it? Rampton Comes Alive Wrong mm.
3: I'm going to say Michael Jackson Probably Dangerous for uh, History Those were double albums A lot History, those,
1: yeah. Past, Present, and Future Book One from 1995 33 million copies, wow, 66 wow. million units. I don't know what the difference is. Between the greatest
4: hits for the most, yeah.
0: Whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's greatest hits. We're, we're including those. Well,
4: not not that it's one greatest hits record and one full length mm-hmm. studio
2: album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. Did they ever even have a book, too? Mm-mm. I always love when they kind of like leave it open like that. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, well, then you got the Beastie Boys who
1: released the Hot Sauce Committee Part Two. It didn't release <laughs> a part, part, one. part One, so we'll just consider Part One and Part Two right there. Those are the those are the one and the two.
2: This is where the completion is, just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> uh. Right. All right. Uh, and if you're curious, the first hip hop artist to release a double album. Was Tupac Shakur, all eyes on me. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Just so you know. So, uh let's get into it. Let's talk about our. Let's go. Throw them out there. We'll talk about what albums from the '90s have survived well, and what ones clearly needed to have been cut down. Welcome back, Ian. Saw <laughs> so you dropped off there for yeah, a sec.
3: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's right in here my modem
1: kicked out I had a power bump. Gotcha. you had to dial it back in. We totally get it. Um, somebody throw out an album maybe the one behind me what let's talk about ones that do or do not survive uh, their extra size length in the 90s. I'll, I'll say it. smashing pumpkins Melancholy, infinite sadness. What do we think about this record? is it has it survived? It's double album length over these gosh 25 years since it's been out. Or has or was this did this need to be cut down?
2: I think it survived. I mean, it's uh for me, it was a huge, huge record of the 90s for me. Um, but just the and how different it was at that time, like it was almost like it was nothing like Simon's dream in some aspects. And really just sort of took you into a whole new area for them. And I feel like I if I remember right, they had this is like the first sort of real collaboration as a band they really had on this record. Um, due to Flood just having them play live a lot in the in the studio. Um, but I don't know, I feel like it holds up even today. So
0: Yeah, I'm with you, Nate. I this is one I I think of all of them I likely listened to the most in the nineties. Um I think there's you could be you know if we reviewed it in full there's probably a lot of material in here I would be critical of and say ah you could probably drop that but I think as a whole and as a like part of their catalog it works really well I think it there's enough on here that sounds like uh, what came before and enough to hint at what could come after without actually having to fully get into what came in after like
4: like uh, as I listen
0: to this I I feel like oh wow this I remember at the time thinking, like, wow, this band could go anywhere. This is so cool. Like, these ideas, there's ideas on here that are so inspired and different. And when I go back, I still can kind of see that and feel that. Now, that's setting aside what actually came after. But I think it's a nice testament, like, right in the middle of their career to say, in all, this is what this band is capable of. So, for me, that's why it stands out.
4: Yeah, I just remember that one being the first double album I've ever actually purchased, um, and I was just looking forward to it. It's like, oh my god, there's there's going to be two hours of of new material for me on this thing, and oh oh my god, this is going to be great. Um, and yeah, it it it's definitely I I remember Billy Corgan saying before. Recording started. That was going to be a super concept album, but it turned out to be more of a conceptual album. Um, and I can I can understand that being more of a conceptual record, which kind of forgives the the less than stellar material, probably on disc more likely on disc two. Um, but it just it 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 gave the gave the concept some some depth. That's the word I was looking for. Um, but yeah, cause I'd, if they released that sort of thing now, it would have been a very daunting thing to listen to.
3: I, I know myself. Uh, it doesn't really hold up for me. I mean, I'm not the biggest pumpkin fans. I mean, I, I love so certainly uh, quite a few of their singles and zero on this album is one of my favorite pumpkins tracks, but mm. even back in, 96, 97 when I was listening to it, like the second disc, uh, I was just like, oh my God, like they probably could have cut it down and made a solid album, but I find it kind of collapses under its own weight uh, at certain points.
1: (laughs) I I agree on the second disc being a little bit more disjointed. I I mean, if you think about it, it still has 1979 on the second album which is probably one of the more iconic songs. I I also think like Beautiful and by Starlight and um, some of the heavier stuff like Bodies is, is really good. I think the thing that makes me think that this is worthy is not only is this great but all the B-sides to the five singles.
4: Yeah, I was I was going to mention that.
1: How much good material is on the like the Airplane Flies High box set.
4: Yeah. The five singles yes.
1: which is specifically like The Airplane Flies High Turns Left looks right. That could have easily been an album track. Um, that
4: that that song in particular and Transformer, which are both on the thirty three single, right? Um, both of those could could have repl- likely replaced four of the songs on disc two, and would have made that thing even better.
1: Yep. Um, Something like that. I think Eha's solo track said sadly on mm-hmm. the bullet with butterfly wings is easily could have been con- considered for the album. Um, there's just there's so much uh extra material that I feel like you could probably slide some of those tracks off the album if you wanted to and, and recreate a whole you know new double album of, of the second, at least the second album, uh, or second half of the album.
0: Something about this record, too, the worth mentioning is um, I think in the 70s, what made Double Albums extra cool was the artwork and the gatefolds and mm. the packaging. And this is one where I think the CD format hurts it because I think the album cover is classic and it has a you know, ties into some kind of concept and it's cohesive from an artwork standpoint. But it's just underwhelming to hold that plastic, that double plastic <laughs> jewel case and yeah. try to pull those little I you mean, know, booklets out. It's just, it's not the same as having a big, you know, beautifully printed vinyl gatefold and, and, you know, inserts and all
4: that. Um, well, they, it, they, they did somewhat remedy that in with the 2012 remasters, but I mean, you had to get the, you know, oh my God, super deluxe version in order to get it. But yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Let's not forget when you would buy a double album on CD. Um, it wouldn't fit in any of your CD holders, oh. <laughs> or you'd have a hard time. You're like, "What do I do with this thing?"
1: <laughs> yeah, if you had a if you had a case with the slots, you're like, oh. yeah,
0: yeah." It would sit on top of the. Of the I, shelf. I had
3: a case that had some uh, double uh, CD uh, slots available, but yep. of course, buy a few of those and. You're out the door. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I loved it when they came out with the single jewel case with the the out tray. That really mm-hmm. helped. Yeah, you know? oh yeah.
4: the 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 standard reissue of of that record came in that kind of case. Mm, that would be much better. Yeah. Yeah.
2: What did what did they retail for back in the nineties? Like like twenty five, um, like that. I want to say
4: it was like $25 yeah, I I twenty five
2: dollars retail. I paid twenty. It was an investment for me. That was back when, like, I was, I mean, I was 15 then. So I was probably mowing some yards and doing some odds and ends, trying to get some CDs. And I remember thinking, like, this one's, like, I really need to, like, get it together if I'm going to actually purchase this one. (laughs) No, same same here. Same
4: here. I was was 21 when that came out. And, yeah, I was scraping pennies together as a college student. Mm -hmm. And, like, I, I knew it was going to be a daunting task as opposed to, you know, Try, just trying to find the thing on sale. Right. I, I knew this was going to be a, a, a bigger task. And it wound up being $20, like, down from a retail of 25
0: Yeah, well, again, but- I think that's why Guns N' Roses decided to do separate. That way, mm-hmm. you're not blocked from buying something, you know. Yeah, exactly. anticipation And, right. and heat to, to get an album. And then, yeah, you have to think about, like, wow, I was, 25 bucks instead it's like well i'll buy the first one and then in a couple of weeks after i mow some lawns or whatever work a couple of shifts i'll be able to afford the second one yeah. there you go
1: i i do want to mention that you know wilco their second album being there is a double album and when they released it they worked with the record label to release it at the cost of a regular single album yeah. because they had a concept that they wanted but they didn't want to overextend their fans wallets so it's released in a cardboard, um, single, it fits it in a single slot. Yep. And, um, that's how they got around the, the pricing issue was to, uh, I think they negotiated like a lower
4: royalty yeah, rate or they, something. They, they took a hit on royalties so they can release it like that.
0: Let's talk about that one a little bit. Cause to me that when I went back and listened, I revisited those that I listened to at the time. That this is the one that stood out the best to me. Um as a I think the second half of the record is definitely more experimental and you know starts to again where show the band's gonna go. But man, this is like this is my favorite material from them. And uh I think it just captures like a great energy too, like a great live energy um that sometimes lacks on, you know, studio double albums because there's just
4: a lot of there's a lot of work there. Um well the, well the, in addition to that Jay, with that particular record they they were just determined to not replicate am mm. and because am was arguably closest to the uncle tupelo sound and if i'm not mistaken am was was kind of written and recorded quickly to get out. So, you know, to capture on the momentum that uncle Tupelo was finally getting when they crashed and burned. Um, I I remember like box full of letters coming out less than a year after uncle Tupelo split and they were just determined to not do uncle Tupelo. Um, I mean that first song, "Misunderstood," said it all. Yeah. So, um, and I thought it was interesting on that particular album. You put the running lengths of the two discs; they could have fitted on one. I think it was like seventy-eight minutes or something like that.
1: Yeah, it's not an incredibly long record. Yeah, um, it's seventy-six minutes. Yeah. Which they could have pared down. Um, From what I understood, you know, I'm a huge Wilco fan. This is my favorite Wilco record. I have the box set vinyl re release with all the extra stuff. And, you know, um, from what I understand, is they were some of this album, it's not 100% a concept record, but there is an effort to emulate like 60s, 70s AM radio in in a weird way so like far far away is like their version of a johnny cash song um there's a version of like out of sight out of mind is an attempt to basically be the replacements monday is a is a rolling stone song um there's there are the uh, the flip side out of mind out of sight is beach boys which you can tell obviously from the production on that song
2: you such a good talker
1: A lot, there's different takes on what he was listening to as a kid and what was influencing him as a songwriter in each of these songs um so i don't know the i don't know the exact reason why it's split into two but i get the sense that he was trying to make like essentially a compilation album of his favorite artists reinterpret him as new material and so I, this album
0: uh, this album should have been called am <laughs>
1: Sort of, yeah. So um, you're
0: totally confusing me.
1: <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry to be confusing you. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the album where Jeff Tweedy separates himself from Uncle Tupelo and the shadow of Jay Farrar, because Jay Farrar was considered the, the mastermind in a lot of ways. J- Jeff Tweedy contributed only really one or two songs to the first couple records, and it was on... Anodyne, the last Uncle Tupelo record where Jeff Tweedy had a bit more of a say in the songwriting and it was a bit more split and they actually promoted his song, The Long Cut, as yeah. a single, which I don't think Jay Farrar was all that happy about because they had no. a bit of a, a rivalry by that point. I don't think they were even really speaking at certain points during the the tour for that record. Um, so I get the feeling that the AM record was material that was probably left out of consideration for Uncle Tupelo, he finished it up with the guys from that band and then put it out as quick as possible. Um, But they were not a huge draw in the way that Sunvolt was. It really, you know, he he went from doing that to doing the Golden Smog record, kind of hanging out with his friends. Um, And it's really on being there that he solidifies who he is as an artist as opposed to just being the, the other guy in uncle Tupelo. So I think, I think this record holds up really well, especially oh, in their yeah. catalog. I think it just, it holds up really well. Um, which has you know, shifted over the years to being a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> but, but none of the, I don't feel like hardly any of these songs um, would worthy of being cut they all seem to fit within the concept of what they were doing
4: oh, but yeah. I want to it, it was a
1: it was wilco very discussion. thought out yeah yeah uh any other thoughts on wilco is whether this one if you guys have any uh opinions on it, or we can move on to an, uh, another one one that i'm inspired by ian's shirt we all know what that okay. one is yeah
3: well yeah, well, I, 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 you gotta wear it on your sleeve, but in this case, it's on my chest. So, <laughs> obviously, my, obviously, my pick is Nine Inch Nails, the 1999, the, the Fragile. Um. So, uh, uh, for for me, it's one of my favorites of his, um, and it's still highly regarded amongst the amongst the fans as well. I mean, might not have been that way on delivery in that because people are like oh i want another closer or march the pigs and, and it's like there's none of that on here it's far more um introspective but similar to tracks like um i do not want this and the downward spiral and hurts so it's more in, in that vein but uh, uh i mean when he did it, it it's just uh, a lot of material and um I, I i don't even know if this was intended to be a double album or not you've recorded a lot of material but you see and like the fragility tour book, you see like run orders, and it's just like single run order of like seventeen tracks or fourteen tracks on a on a cdr. But then he uh, brought in uh, Bob Ezrin, who's from uh, probably best known for working on uh, Dig Me Out '70s uh, unknown artist Pink Floyd on their obscure album The Wall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I think he's best known for his work on uh, Kiss's
3: uh, uh, concept music album. from The Elder. The Elder. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah uh, the, those, those two camps can fight it out. But, I mean, he, he came in and I mean, he created this whole narrative. Because I, I, I know it was like, I'm going to, Trump. Reznor was like, I can release a, one CD of the vocal tracks and one of the instrumentals. But he, he was like, no, no, we'll have them together and it'll strengthen the album. And, and, and it did. And it, it's pretty good, uh, the, the end result. Because uh, I've tried doing that just to both some instrumentals. It does not work as as well But together it it makes A a strong double album Or triple LP In the case of the vinyl release Right
1: Um, Is there another album in human history That can boast having Steve Albini Dr. Dre and Bob Ezrin All in the credits
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just recently saw a Dr. Dre uh, Credit and I was just like that one went unknown till now.
1: Uh, yeah, he has additional production and mis- mis- mixing assistance on
3: track eight, which is uh, yeah, uh, that's
1: uh, that's crazy. I did I didn't know that until I was looking at this. I think this it's interesting. This album sold one third as much as as the downward spiral, but I've heard a lot of people say that this is their favorite um, Reznor album or Nine Nails album. And I'll admit, like this kind of went under my radar. I knew it came out. I liked the singles that I heard, and I didn't really get into it until long after it came out. And it it definitely now I think is probably in my favorite, if, if not my favorite, maybe in my tied up there. Um, but I really like that they did the the 2016 release of Deviations with all the instrumentals. Um, yeah. So I just think it shows like how cool these songs are when you can break them down to instrumental. We often talk about that, like, well, I like this song, but it would be work better as an instrumental because the vocals aren't that great. This shows like those songs are strong even without the vocals.
3: Yeah, if you zoom in on my shelf, you'll you'll see both the, the 2016 uh, re-release and the 20, and, uh, deviations one on my shelf. So uh, the, the instrumentals. That the deviations one that is a really good listen, and it also includes some additional songs that weren't uh, recorded. So it's like how much was recorded from the, these sessions? Because the the vinyl included two tracks that weren't on the CD or the cassette, and even the cassette had different some different versions in that. So he, he can have uh, a longer side A instead of flipping over into the middle of a track on side B. So uh, I mean, there's a lot of configurations for this album, and then yeah. it came out deviations one and it was just like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> yeah, well,
4: I'll I I'll, I'll have to revisit it, but when that album came out, I was very, very disappointed because I was expecting more accessible songs. And while they while they were there, they just they seemed to come in spades in and more in the album was more in favor of the ambient soundscapes rather than the, the, the concise songs. And, you know, in 1999, when I got that, that was very disappointing for me. <laughs> Maybe perspective will change that, but yeah, I know some people who swear by it and I'm just like, it's, it's all of these soundscapes and I could not latch onto it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I had the pretty hate machine cassette someone had gave me. Uh and then I I was I was into that and but I really got into them with the Doward Spiral. I think oh like oh, a yeah. lot. <laughs> and then um I don't know what I don't know if it was I sort of like the single that, or the the Lost Howie soundtrack, um Perfect Drug. I thought that was a good song. Yeah. And then it kind of came to, I don't know what it was after that, sort of they just kind of fell off the radar for me until probably 2006, 2007. then I went back and like bought some of those albums that I missed. And then this being one of them and really liked it. I mean, I, I upon first listen, I was like, okay, I, I like where this is going because it was like in so many different, you go to so many different, like just, just a journey through all this ambience and these songs. I didn't really even recognize most of the songs, but I thought overall it was a cool just just project. I just thought that the whole album itself was very fitting and still today I could to listen to it so I liked it. I don't know okay. the
0: the history well of, of of Trent Reznor but is this the kind of uh, seed for maybe a lot of the soundtrack work he eventually does in the in I would think uh, kind, so.
3: Kind of a a, a bit because uh in between downward spiral and the fragile he did do um the soundtrack for quake the, the video game for id software oh yeah and if you listen to that soundtrack there's a lot of those seeds that carried on with the fragile but also with stuff they did with the social network and grow with the dragon tattoo and, and so it, it's it, it's a different uh style obviously not as aggressive but uh compared to the stuff they does with with nine inch nails but uh i mean you can still hear and recognize yes it's still trent reznor whether it be nine inch nails the stuff that the soundtrack they does with ackis ross or even the how to destroy angels project he did with his wife so uh, i mean it's it's definitely uh, the fingerprints are all there <laughs> right
1: Jay, is there any particular double album from the '90s that sticks out for you that we haven't mentioned?
0: Um, we mentioned the three that I I listened to most: Wilco, Guns, well, Smash Pumpkins. We haven't talked in depth about Guns and Roses, but that would be uh, the well, third we one. Podcast, really, on Jay. I know we've kind of gone. You can go back and listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, those were the those were the big three that I remembered um, from the time and still listen to now
1: well uh Nate do you have any particular uh double albums you wanted to mention
2: um no not Rummy no nah, mine doesn't really qualify I don't think because I was gonna say the across the wire counting crows when I, I got into in the 90s but it's not it's it was more of a live album gotcha
1: so. yeah we'll save that for the live podcast yeah um <laughs> There were there were a number of good hip hop albums that were doubles. I mentioned the the Tupac album. There was also Wu Tang's Wu Tang Forever. Um, there was the Magnetic Fields triple album, sixty nine oh, yes. songs,
3: which
4: that, that, that is a good one.
1: Has a lot of material, sixty nine mm-hmm. songs to be exact. Yep. Um, Prince put out two double albums, Emancipation and
4: Crystal Ball, which is a triple. Those, those are. Nope. Both of those technically, Crystal Ball was a quadruple. Oh, was it?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: I, I was actually going to bring up Emancipation and Crystal Ball. Um, uh, talk about talk about albums that are just way too long. Um, they, they. Does anyone has any? Did anyone actually own Emancipation?
1: I owned both of those at one point. Okay. And I'm mad I got
4: rid of them. But, <laughs> but we all know um, that story. I I purged. Well, you, you could probably find Emancipation on uh, the vinyl reissue from two years ago pretty readily. But uh, yeah, the, the the entire concept of Emancipation was three discs, all of them exactly 60 minutes long. 12 songs on each disc, exactly 60 minutes long. Mm. And you know, while that while that's a great, you know, great, you know, promotional point, the actual contents just uh it it there was there's some really good songs on there. It's just it seemed like a there was a lot of padding to fit the concept to fit the fit the 12 song six exactly 60 minute
1: concept. Yeah. I don't remember those being particularly strong records. Yeah. Um a lot of filler.
0: Well, isn't part yeah. of the concept from memory serves, it was a bit of a statement of like, this is what I've always been wanting to do. My record company doesn't let me. And then right. like <laughs>
3: here's right. all the music and that
0: they to- won't let me put out and the way I want to put it out.
3: We right. had a lot of that in the 90s. He you know. did well. There's and, a lot of um, fan
1: club stuff too, like the Rainbow Children, which is very just jazz oriented, and and mm-hmm. he did like the Northeast West South comp, which is jazz albums. instrumental, jazz instrumental. I mean, which is great to put that out through your fan club. I totally agree with that. Like, let the hardcore people hear your jazz improvisations and stuff like that. Mm. Um, hey, but he turned into a little bit of a of a Bob Pollard character in the '90s.
4: Yeah, it just said the he should have kept emancipation to, to a double and just, yeah, the, 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 al- the, albums have songs that are just clearly padded out. And there's, I think there's three covers on, the, on the, on that record too. He, he had never actually released covers up until that point, but yeah, it just seemed like it was really padded out to fit. The idea that he had of three sixty-minute discs, and yeah, it it should have worked, considering he can he could put out you know every six months and have it be completely different from each other, but yeah, it it just it didn't work. It worked on paper, but that's about it.
1: Um, one double album that is pretty obscure um which uh well i don't know if it's obscure but it's one that i have always enjoyed is the uh ronnie size represent uh drum and bass album new forms um it's hard to describe i mean it's drum and bass so it's a lot of samples but it was the first time that i heard um this particular style of electronic music with which samples of like upright bass combined with drum loops. Um, The single was Brown Paper Bag.
0: of brown paper sounds that we bring up a rubber different nature rhythms get greater and the rhythms they get greater yes another rougher to form for the chaser new configuration new riff and new structure built on the frame that'll hold and won't puncture tight we wrap it up it's wrapped tightly it lives the base is the hobby that it gives. When we apply the brakes, there'll be no skips. Just more elements to continue as we climb. Dimensions and the measurements and the evidence you will find.
4: Changes your range so it's regularly updated. It's some every angle, so it's the unexpected. Represent the fusion of the mind that's state connection The star that is presented,
0: the size of the mind has been indented. The liberate the star we give you, so that means it
1: in your direction. We played it at our radio station and it was a legit like you know cd double album and then there's a couple of interesting like tracy thorne appears on that record um and some other folks that were in like electronic music and stuff like that but it was kind of a one-off i mean they did make another record in 2000 but it wasn't quite as interesting as uh as that album did anybody check out uh new forms it was, ah. was that an obscure one
2: I have it actually i but I think it was one of the i found it at a thrift store. I think I purchased it for like a dollar um but I don't know sometimes I'll buy like all these dollar records and then I haven't even had a chance to really get to it, but that's kind of the story for that one with me, but I thought that was an interesting one you had and when when I saw the covers or whatever and I saw that, and I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's the or from all the other ones, I was like, that's an odd one for me to i I just never never heard it until recently.
1: Um, the other one that would fit sort of in that category is, um, there's a, uh, Aphex Twin album that was also a double, uh, I'm blanking on the name though. Is it, uh, was it
2: drugs or no? Selected
1: ambient works. It was later, yeah. That's it. Selected ambient works. Um, volume two, I believe, which I mean, Richard James is sort of in his own category of music. So he's <laughs> it's hard to really compare oh, yeah. him to anybody. Um, but that's one that's always on like the you know greatest albums of all time lists and that sort of thing. And then there was a an album that we did, Jay. We've actually done. Besides Guns N' Roses, we also did a double album by a band called The Cardiacs.
3: Oh, yeah. Sing 90s, to
1: God. Which is. Uh, crazy. It's a crazy record. Came out in Ooh, 96. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's now
1: finally on streaming. It, it recently showed up in the last year or so on, um, streaming services. I highly suggest people check that out because it's sort of, I, I wrote it. I think I described it as Mr. Bungle, but
4: reinterpreted through Brit pop. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty accurate. It, it's definitely, it's an, uh, accurate.
0: An experience. listen, like at least once in your life, you should spin it.
4: And, yeah. And maybe oh, yeah. you'll love
0: it or you won't, but at least you will have an experience. There's no doubt about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. 88 minutes of um, just chaos, but somehow the songs uh, work in a way that I don't understand. Uh, it's sort of... Um,
4: That's kind of the cardiac SMO.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, but definitely one of the lesser known, uh, doubles. I forgot to mention we were talking about hip hop life and death by notorious B.I.G. was also a huge, uh,
4: Oh yeah. That, that was a big double.
1: Oh, double Van Morrison put out a double album in the nineties hymns to the silence. Has anybody listened to that? Mm. I'm not a big Van Morrison fan even before. Yeah. No, same tune. Um, I'm, I (laughs) was never really listening to that other than, you know, I think astral weeks and maybe one other one. I listened to yeah, it all the way through.
4: That's pretty much that's pretty much all, all one would really be able to tolerate before he turned into a lonely tune.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so going so going go really quick back to melancholy. Why why did they have a uh, different track listing for the original vinyl release back in '95? Like, the track listings like kind of all.
4: Um, well, the, well, one of the tracks is like a reprise of tonight, tonight. Um, yeah, it
2: was like almost like some of the songs from like the CD's second disc were on the first part of the record. I don't remember was, that. Yeah, it was like not the same order at all. If you, I didn't, I didn't know if you ought to. Like are you? Are
0: you? are saying the actual, the printing of the sequence is different, or the actual sequencing and the printing?
2: Both. Yeah.
0: On the vinyl, it's different.
2: Yeah. On the original, not the re-releases, but the yeah. original pressings. Yeah, they, I mean, it could have been a, they, they a added, printing thing. They added a couple of
4: things. Like the inter like I think both of both of the extra tracks were were interludes. Like one of them was Tonight Reprise. I remember that one. Um that was that was ultimately released on the Tonight Tonight single. Um and one other I'm forgetting. I, I don't know,
0: but one thought would be printing sometimes. Um I've I've heard stories in the past where you make changes after you make, you know. Yeah, I mean, in terms I, of I, like going I, to press, things take longer to either print the sleeves and the vinyl versus the CDs, and in between the sequencing, and all that, just different decisions are made, and you end up with yeah different releases. I know that happened a couple times in the
1: seventies, but
4: right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The songs yeah. would be rearranged so so it could actually fit the vinyl.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that might have been a case too. I, yeah, I haven't listened that, that to the would, vinyl, so.
3: Yeah, because that was the case with the the fragile. Like, he went the three LPs for fidelity, but also because of the cuts and everything. It's like, okay, here's some tracks that were cut from the CD. We've included them on the vinyl, and also just for durations because of how the breaks were. Some were edited longer, some were shorter. Um, so. Uh, well, like it depends on the on the format. I'm sure that was all considered when uh, uh, Billy Corgan yeah. and, uh, and and Flood uh, went through for for melancholy.
0: That's yeah. a great call. Yeah, with vinyl, you have to remember that um, the closer you put the gr- grooves together, the less fidelity you have. So yeah, you're kind of weighing quality versus how many more <laughs> discs do you want to pay to have printed, shipped, and et cetera.
4: Right. Because yeah, um, the fragile when it was reissued on vinyl is four four records correct yeah yeah
1: um the other double it. album j that we reviewed the gathering how to measure a planet
0: that was a double album wow
1: yeah okay. yeah it was
0: huh that one, the definitely I remember, uh, Cardiacs being double after you mentioned it. But this one, I I didn't remember being double. Okay,
1: I feel like the second of the two albums is shorter. Like yep. it almost it's almost like an an album and a half, but because of the CD format, it's two discs. Um, I'd have to double check, but I feel like it, it's not as many songs. They might be longer songs, um, but I don't think it's quite as long. Well, just in general, I think
0: um, discovering any of these records in streaming is such a different experience, too. Like, Oh, yeah. You're not changing discs. You don't hold two discs, just mentally, unless they put the little subhead in there that says disc two. You have no idea. And then even still, when you're listening to it, you just listen to it. like You don't really comprehend that it's two discs.
1: I want to get to some of the comments because they mentioned uh, double albums that we haven't talked about. I'm gonna sneeze. <laughs> nope, didn't sneeze. Salud.
0: And interesting <laughs> enough, on that that last point, the Cardiac's streaming release, they have it available as a double album, but then they've also has it available as separate albums. So part yeah, one and part it, two. It was
4: it was issued
1: that way back yes. in the day. Mm. That's so. right. All right, Dan Goodspeed said, I would like to list add to the list of albums Annie DeFranco's Living in Clip. It was one of my favorite albums from 1997. I think some other
4: That's a live albums. album, though. Oh,
1: it is? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, it's Dan. That goes into our live album discussion. Beep, beep, boop. Erase. <laughs> uh Richard Waterman says, My favorite double album in the 90s is Fragile. Also, my favorite 99-inch 99, 99 nails album in general. Uh, does Usual Illusion one and two count as a double? Yes, we determined that. Yo said swans soundtracks for the blind.
4: Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, That was supposed to be their grand finale, but they did get back together.
1: Uh, yeah. kyle bittner said i won't be attending but i think it's been a great discussion um he said worthy du- worthy double albums of the 90s are rare uh especially pumpkins wilco Nine Inch nails guns N' roses yes that is a double um as much as their filler as there is on them i quite enjoy tupac and biggie's double albums the wu-tang are my favorite rap collective but wu-tang forever is far too long if they'd shown some restraint, they could have potentially released a classic. Finally, who can forget the Flaming Licks, Lips' four CD experimental <laughs> *Zurika*?
4: <laughs> oh god! Now here's a question: uh, I I don't consider that a quadruple album. Since
1: you since you play them all at the same time, it's really one album. Yes. It comes with four discs, but yes, you're supposed to play them all at once.
4: Yeah, you're supposed to play them all on four stereos, and it's it's basically
3: only like 44 minutes long or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, Tool, Tool did something similar with uh, 10,000 Days and uh, with a couple of tracks where you can pair them up.
4: And... Yeah, oh, that um, sounds um, like a lot of up. work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, daring daring concept for that Flaming Lips record, because, I mean, it started from their parking lot experiments where, where you know, like 10 cassette decks were all operating at the same time and, you know, conducted like an orchestra. But, <clears throat> yeah, I think that concept of Zyrica was just a little too much.
0: <laughs> I mean, I I can't get I can't figure out how to hit play on four different CD players or exactly. That's or, the
4: point, Jay. four. Yeah, you're, you're supposed to you're supposed to get your your get your Friends.
3: friend Tim to operate yeah. two of them. Oh. So, so you've never done Pink Floyd and Wizard of Oz together
0: then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one sounds. I can figure that one out. I could hit play on the video and then Or hit pause and try to sort that out, but. Yeah. Four. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my mind's blown. I can't coordinate people either. So
1: there you go. Uh Nate, in the comments, you mentioned uh that you also dug along with Carl F Metallica's Garage Inc. Mm. Is that an all-covers double album? Yes, it is, yeah. Interesting.
4: All I covers, only really know
1: a couple of all the covers. covers
4: double studio records.
1: Yeah. So I mean it counts. Yes, it's a studio album. Whether it's covers or not doesn't matter. I remember there's Turn the Page is on that. Right.
0: Oh wow, yeah. that was a that was a huge radio song too. That was yeah.
1: Um, is what else is on there that was radio? Whiskey single? in a
4: jar. Oh, oh yeah, that's man. right. Got, yes, that was
2: a big single.
4: That was a big uh, single. A big single. Um, is
2: Stone there Cold really Crazy two on big that?
4: Singles from it. What's that? I know they did a cover
1: of Stone Cold Crazy, but I can't remember if it was on that or it was a single. B-side. Uh, it
0: was originally a B side to a yeah. black album, but then they put it on this.
4: Yeah. Okay. They they collected the random B-sides. They uh remastered the Garage Days re revisited from the 80s and easily a whole a whole studio albums worth of covers, re- newly recorded covers. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. They cover uh Tuesday's gone on here. I'm a little scared to listen to that.
4: <laughs> I'm
0: not sure I want to hear them do Skinner.
4: No, it's 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 done it's done acoustically. It's not it's not it's not a thrash version of a Skinner song.
1: <laughs> um, and then Carl F also mentioned the Orbs, the Orbs Adventures Beyond the Ultra World.
3: Excellent um, pick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I can't say that I I know that whole album. I know the orb, but I don't know that I don't know that it know that album. Yeah, no, their particular. first one. Too. I'll have <laughs> to give that a listen. I also get the orb mixed up with the orbital sometimes.
3: <laughs> Understandable.
1: Yes. Um that's a lot of them. I can't I don't uh I don't know that we've missed any doubles. Have we missed any other doubles that we have not mentioned? Uh, there's, uh, let me see. I'm going through the comments. I think that's all everybody from the comments Yeah, that
3: they mentioned. Well, the only ones that come to mind for, for me, for, uh, industrial would be, uh, meat, Beat meat, so uh, those, uh, subliminal sandwich. And then, uh, oh, yeah, remix the block for the week, the uh, rewind, which is excellent. <laughs> Okay. Well, but th- those are the only two for for the stuff dialists that, that really stick out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't see. Uh, uh, we can't dip into the, the double lives, so that's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure not to mention <laughs> fish. To compilations. Uh, for compilations, so we, for compilations. <laughs> yeah, that's that'll be covering our compilations episode from many years back. Uh, the double the live albums will be probably next year or the year after that because uh, there's only so many topics to cover. I mean, we've we've exhausted a lot of topics over the years. Uh,
4: yeah, c- yeah. The the whole idea of a double album in the '90s just it. I mean it. It was just so blurry because the albums were the albums that were released were clearly long enough to be double albums. They were just printed and marketed as singles. Yeah, because. Yeah, a, a lot of those 75 minute albums that we were purchasing in 1993, those were those were marketed as singles, single right. albums. Yep. And and for for any artist to to actually go that extra length was something to behold.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean you have to convince the record company it's worth printing the extra material like i'm sure that's not an easy yeah. case to make when it's like well why don't you just cut two songs and we can put it on one cd call it a day
4: yeah
0: um exactly. you'd have to have some i think uh credibility built up um like be a smashing bumpkins or a guns and roses or
4: yeah maybe wilco had
0: a like since they were okay with like packaging it a little bit differently or selling it differently than maybe it
4: No, they had to they had to agree to a lower royalty oh, for right. that record in order yep. to get it released as a double. Yep. Um Smashing Pumpkins, I'm sure I'm sure Siamese Dream didn't push three million copies. You know, someone would have said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Right. You can have a you can have a long album, but it has to be a single disc
3: You know, you got got to
4: lose 10 10 of those other songs.
2: Yeah, the label was definitely against it. Um, But Billy being who he is, he just sort of pushed it forward. But yeah, I mean, obviously it worked out, but yeah.
0: And, you know, in the 70s, it was about, 60s and 70s, it was about like building catalogs and like building artists up over a sequence of releases to like eventually get, you know, hit it, hit big. And the nineties was not about that as the more, and more we get through the nineties, it's like, give me a hit on your first record or you're done. Like, like, so, you know, there's no patience, right. no career building, there's no catalog building. It's let's just go find bands that can make hits immediately. And if they can't, we'll just let them go and find another one. So it becomes much more rare to actually get to the point where you're, you know, have enough credibility with your label, or you can figure it out to the point where you can even be that ambitious.
3: Right. But even with the format changes, I mean, look look at now with being digital. I mean, you're you're getting almost 90 minute albums, and it's like it's a single album. I mean, Tool's last album, yeah, it came with the CD, but when you download the full album, it's 88 minutes. Yeah, uh, but it's still a single album. It's not a double album, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, mind you, a lot of digital music's now just going to singles, but that's besides the point. But yeah. uh, well, that I mean, that is, that is, yeah. Yeah, with, with digital streaming, you're having
4: you're having 16 song albums that only last 43 minutes. Cause it because the the song lengths are getting shorter and shorter.
3: Right. Got the intro is out so they can get the uh, listener hooked in the first mm-hmm. five seconds so they can get paid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mac don't write today.
1: Progressive Rock. And, the,
0: and I think there was something that I don't know that we can ever get back to in that with streaming. Um I think there was something about changing the disc like that played into the original concepts through some of the double albums that worked better. And that there was a, there was a physical break you took (laughs) to get up and change it to another disc that had made another statement and then to go back to the other, you know, side. So be that process of like flipping sides and flipping discs created this experience. Sometimes that worked really well for some of the better double albums history versus you can't, you don't do that now. You just hit play.
3: <laughs> well, even like Roger Waters, when he did the wall live, I mean, it's a double album. I mean, there was an interlude, There's a break because that's how the album was written. There is a distinction between yep. disc one and disc two.
0: Mm-hmm. And you take a longer, you, you, you you take a longer break away from the like you basically like cleanse your palate, you know, yeah. and then start go to silence or whatever, and then build back into the second half. And yeah, that's difficult to do with the the current streaming format.
4: Yep. Oh yeah. Well, I, well, Julian Cope. This is probably after after the nineties, though. Um, he started releasing his albums as two separate discs for that purpose um Hmm. the albums themselves are probably about 50 minutes long 50 55 minutes but they were split into two discs of 27 minutes each mostly because i think he said something along the lines of i don't want to fatigue the listener so that's why i break it up interesting yeah um and then last year, he released a 71 minute single disc. So,
1: <laughs> well, let's not turn this episode into an unnecessarily long double album. Uh, we've just about hit the two hour or the one hour mark. So, uh, that's a nice single 90s CD length, uh, 60 minutes. We've got uh, maybe we can throw on a hidden bonus track there at the end of this episode for, uh, for people to enjoy. We can jam out, do a, do a jazz odyssey to uh to close the uh record but uh i want to thank um phil ian and nate for uh for joining us on this lovely saturday afternoon thank you all for taking some time out i'm i'm sorry that uh you know i planned this and then uh i specifically thought that richard waterman was going to be able to join uh since he's never able to join our evening and then he turns out he had a a prior commitment and is uh unable to join us so
4: a one time you a one time this is uh, all part of the buildup.
0: We're gonna we're gonna tease it, you know. Oh, absolutely, Richard. Oh, he didn't make it. Eventually, he'll be yeah. here. Just keep tuning in.
1: So. Like He's the, too
3: busy hanging out with Matt Damon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is like the the neighbor from uh, from Home Improvement. We're never going to actually see right. Wilson. Nice.
4: Wilson, Wilson, yes. <laughs> uh,
0: we, we have to check. I feel like uh, Ian, you're you're helping us keep our streak alive with uh, Canadian representation on our, all our yes. roundtables. So, yeah, I was glad to see that.
1: <laughs> also, keeping our our hey. Discord uh, industrial uh, uh, chat yes. Yes. busy, which I'm learning a lot of stuff there. That's my one of my blind spots. So I'm definitely enjoying digging into things right. that I'm I'm not familiar with.
3: So I, I, I know it's quite lonely there, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I figure if I start doing retrospectives for for the day or when I, when I get a chance to go on, at least I can help uh, educate people.
1: You're <laughs> you're our, you're our curate, curation. That's that's what the music is lacking now is curation. So yep. uh, we
4: definitely yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Well, well, for the for those listening, you you need to join the union, get on the <laughs> Discord with all of us.
0: Yes. It is my curation when I'm think when I'm uh, pop open my streaming and I'm like, hmm, what do I, I want to listen to something different. I go to exactly. Discord and start going through the channels and uh, like oh there's for Waterman
4: stuff. with another suggestion. Yep. <laughs>
0: yep. Exactly.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't uh, need algorithms. No, no, exactly. you just need you just need Waterman. Yeah. <laughs> uh
1: speaking of the union, you can go to digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. That's where you join us. Uh, for as little as two bucks a month to join the union and vote in polls like this one for our um, roundtables, You also vote in our monthly album suggestions that are submitted over at digmeoutpodcast.com. Uh, you just drop in an album suggestion and it goes into a poll and then uh, everybody votes on it. And then it becomes an album that we review. It's also where you get access to the discord that we were mentioning all sorts of, happenings there discussions of various things related to music and sometimes not and then uh it's also where you can read the box newsletter which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com it's delivered weekly to your email inbox uh two new reviews per week usually of music but also of um books or, or movies relevant to eighties and nineties music and the calendar of new releases each week with links. So you can listen to that or watch a video and, um, it helps keep the, uh, the archive our 400 and almost, or sorry, 500 and almost, uh, something, 600, I don't even know where we were at 49, right. <laughs> 549, <laughs> 549, there you go i don't know and once we once we hit 500 i just kind of went blank (laughs) at that point just hit me just wake me up when we hit a thousand uh and uh if you like what you heard apple podcasts that's where you go to leave some some positive feedback if you enjoy this so uh for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out